All right, if you would be turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14, we'll be in verses 20 through 23 this morning. And as you're turning there, let me give you the key truth that I'd love for us to walk away with. God calls us to hospitality by faith alone in his grace alone to edify his people. Let me say that again. God calls us to hospitality by faith. God's word, this is Romans 14, verses 20 through 23. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother or sister to stumble. The faith that you, that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on themselves for what they approve. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now this is Paul essentially summing up uh, chapter 14 for us, and he returns to some things that he's already said, which anytime stuff is repeated, that's worthy of us maybe slowing down and really trying to think through what he's saying. And then we also have to be careful about what he's not saying, trying to make too much out of something or maybe even create a new law uh, or in some way, shape, or form uh, to misapply what it is that Paul's trying to say to us. As we've already noted, he's not saying that we ignore sin right? So if someone were to come to my house and want to bring uh, their, their, their mistress or their not significant other, am I to entertain that? No. No, I am not to encourage sin in any way, shape, or form. He's not talking about things that are clearly against God's law or against loving God or against loving neighbor. What he's speaking to very specifically here in 14 is anything that someone thinks divides them from God. Anything that's, that would make someone to feel uh, not loved or not saved. And that's a very important distinction, isn't it? Uh, and, and we don't want someone feeling unclean, right? So these are folks who are striving to actually honor the Lord, but doing so in a way that is less free than those who understand the fullness of the gospel. And so it is that strength that we have, that faith that we have, knowing that all things are unclean, that allows for us to serve our brothers and sisters who think that you have to keep certain rituals or not eat certain foods, or not drink certain things or anything in that category that draws them closer to God mechanistically versus relationally. And so we want to keep that in mind. We're not, we're not being told you have to put up with anything and everything, but what you are being told is you have to think through your hospitality and how you live it out with those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the question I have for us that is, is always good for us to reflect on and remember is what hospitable act has recently helped you to be edified by God's grace? Where has someone invited you into their lives and it has been a deep blessing to you because they invited you in without a list of, all right, here's my list of demands, right? If you're going to come to my house, you're going to eat my food, you're going to drink my drink, you're going to be my friend, here's what I demand of you. If you and I are truly free in Christ, we make no demands upon other people in this way. We don't have to. Where, as Paul has already told us, who's the judge? He is. His law is. We, at times, have to engage in the process of judgment, but that's fairly rare. 
And it's not for us to arbitrarily do, and it should be a thing that humbles us deeply to ever have to confront someone with sin, right? To ever have to participate in someone being exiled from the community for the purpose of bringing them back. Our session has talked about uh, changing uh, the, the verbiage from church discipline to church reconciliation. That's really the point of it, right? And, and, and we all got to be honest. Like, I, I see it in people's eyes when we say, hey, we're doing some church discipline. They, they immediately are like, oh, no, do we have to get a pitchfork and maybe some torches? What are we doing? Are we riding at dawn? What are we, what's happening? Whereas I, I think the emphasis, the, the discipline piece, excommunication or whatever that may be, God forbid it ever have to come to something like that. Uh, that, that. The whole intent of any and all of that biblically is to reconcile. It's to call back, to call those who have resumed sitting in darkness to come out into the light. And so we would be better served to think more in terms of reconciliation instead of judgment and division, right? And in fact, uh, any sort of reconciliation process that used to be called discipline is something that we can do very patiently, can't we? We have great liberty in this regard to not have to rush in most cases, with the exception of, of situations of danger or abuse. And so what Paul is, is saying to us here is we, we have a certain freedom, knowing who we are in Christ, that allows us to serve other people. Our freedom is not for self. Our freedom is not for personal exaltation, right? You have been given what you've been given to give it away. What you know you know for the benefit of other people. What you have, you have for the benefit of other people, right? And too often, that's not how we think. We think way too miserly, way too selfishly, uh, way, way too self-focused, and we're all about kind of safety and security. We're worried about letting certain influences in and that kind of stuff, or, or allowing our freedom to not be expressed in full. <laughs> Does that sound familiar at all, red-blooded Americans? Uh, and so it's important that we recognize what we have, we've been given to be able to use for the sake of God's glory, our joy, and most importantly, the life, well, not most importantly, but, but most practically, the life of the world. And so he's, he goes back in here, and he says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. So he's essentially saying uh, something that we, we hear in marriage uh, or, or weddings. He's saying, that which God has brought together, let no man rend asunder. So what is the work of God? There's many things we could list, but most locally, in the context of Romans, what is it that God has so specifically done that, that really causes us to pause and go, how glorious is our God? Well, he has united together Gentiles, which is, that's not a, a race proper, that's a, a large umbrella for all races that are not Jewish, and the Jews themselves. He brought them together in Christ, in and through Pentecost. Remember, the church starts uh, in Rome, essentially at Pentecost, when a number of Jews are redeemed who are from Rome. They go back, and they evangelize, and it, and it goes like gangbusters, and a number of Gentiles come into the church. So this is, you, you want to talk about a, a circumstance of glorious racial reconciliation. The Roman church is one of the finest. Right? It is a picture of Revelation 7 for a world that really didn't understand that. You've got to understand that, that, that we didn't invent uh, uh, disunity. We didn't invent racism. It's been part and parcel of East of Eden. right? It's just been in the groundwater. And so we need to recognize how glorious a picture this is. And so when God brings something like that together, who are we to do anything 
anything that would compromise the reconciliatory, redemptive work of God. Because these people are going to be together for how long? Eternity. So why would we rend asunder in, in, in real time what's going to be held together for all of eternity? And so that's what he's saying to them. Don't, do not, do not in any way, shape, or form compromise the unity of God for your selfish purposes, for your own personal exaltation, for your own arrogance. Don't. You've got to understand what you're trading and what you're losing and what you will not gain. He goes back again and says it again. Everything indeed is clean. Right? He repeats that again. Because that was, you, you got, and, and we have to pause and go, how important was it to their culture, to, especially on the Jewish side, not even so much the Gentiles, but for the Jews to be told, you can eat anything. You, can, you, you no longer have to worry about, does your garment touch such and such? Does your garment rise above your ankles or your knees and make you unclean? Is your proximity to something that dies or someone who dies, does that make you unclean? Think about how this throws open the possibilities of hospitality and freedom and beauty for a people who had been under the burden of the law, which had its purpose, right? To drive them to Christ. And so now they have been set free for freedom, as Paul talks about in Galatians 5. And so it's important that we recognize how, how difficult it would be to hear, you've just been set free. However... You cannot use that freedom carte blanche. You must consider your weaker brothers and sisters. Now, think about this for a second. How many of us feel like, in different circumstances, we're having to pull people along? We're having to carry all the weight. We're having to deal with them as a burden. They're not like us. They don't do like we do. They're not as fast as we are. They're not as smart as we are. They're not as organized as we are. They don't get up as early as we do. They don't stay up as late as we do. They don't keep up with the shows like we do. They don't keep up with social media like we do. They don't post often enough on TikTok or whatever it may be. Right? How often do we divide ourselves based on what we think we're better at and make it moral? When it's not, you've been given that gift to help the one who's not like you, who may struggle. And whereas you're just thinking you want to cut bait and move on and be free of all these burdens. So consider how weighty a matter this would be for the Jewish people in the Roman church who become saints in Christ. This would be essentially for them to be told, you have this wonderful freedom but not all the time, and maybe not in full yet. You have to now use it to help those who don't get it like you do. You've been given what you've been given for the sake of, of serving others. And so he goes on to say, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So he's essentially saying to them, you've got to decide an ability to eat whatever you want in this particular case. Again, it, he's using these terms because of the, the issue of hospitality and the role that it would have played in their culture. And so he's saying, what's more valuable? The, the, the progressive sanctification of your brother or sister in Christ through your love for them, through your proximity to them, through, through your helping to encourage them that they are beloved in Christ. Or are you to poke them in the eye and make sure they know how immature and foolish and lame they are and how they're just a wet blanket on the party? 
You think, how many of you would say, man, I would mature if somebody followed me around and said, you are a wet blanket. Maybe that's an old school term. Maybe I should pick something newer. But, uh, but, but you know, somebody following you around and, and putting you down for what you're not good at. Would that help you? Do you think that that, uh, there's a few of us that are kind of Navy SEAL types at heart, but not in phys- physical fitness, uh, <laughs> then maybe that motivates you to have somebody kick you in the pants, but I can guarantee you, it, not forever, not for long, it may get you going, but at some point you're going to need some encouragement, so that's a tail end of the bell curve type deal, but the majority of people I have found pastorally do a whole lot better with encouragement. I can be, and I, I admit this, left to my own devices, I am a Marine sergeant in the midst of war that has to take a hill that makes no sense, but i got to make sure everybody stays alive. My wife will tell you, if one flower is off or not right, I will burn the entire garden down. Right? That is silly and nonsensical, but that's left to my own devices, outside of Christ, outside of Paul telling me. You, you can't be this way. I would be that way. And so I, I am learning more and more that encouragement goes a long way. Like, again, left to my own devices, I'm that person. If you're doing what you're supposed to do, that's its own reward. What, do you want a cookie? What, do you want some stars? What, do you want a little thing on the, on the, on the you know, you did what you were supposed to today. Great, right? Left to my own devices, that's what I would be. But see, even I have come to realize once in a while you need somebody to tell you that what you do matters, that you being around is a gift and it matters. Once in a while, I mean, and some people more than others. And so we need to be those who are cultivating a greater value because, again, what is it that's most important to God in this world? Is it the rocks and the trees? No, that's important to him. Don't get me wrong. He cares about creation because he's going to make it new again. Is it, it, what is it? What is most important to God in this world? Psalm 8 would tell us us, his people, his image bearers. So value-wise, what does that mean since we are ambassadors of that God, ambassadors of that kind of reconciliation, what does that mean has to be the most valuable thing to us? each other, other people, other people who are weak, other people who don't quite get it like you do, other people who are still struggling under the weight of the law, other people who are struggling under the weight of not feeling loved, other people who are struggling under the weight of not believing that they are God's child for reasons that sometimes are frustrating. And so he's making it very clear that there is a different value set for us because of who we are and whose we are. He says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, this is important that we not miss what he's saying here, because we could easily say, okay, so that that means I don't ever have to share the gospel again, right? I don't have to do any evangelism. No, that's not what that means. What he's saying is that the faith that you have been granted that brings you great joy with God, that exalts you to him, is not for you to parade through the world. It is not for you to go around, <laughs> it's interesting that this, you know, you hear people do this, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. Okay, well, who are you blessing? I'm glad you're blessed, but are you blessing anyone else? If it's just you who's being blessed in singularity and that creates a hierarchy or a differentiation, that's not of God. 
It is good to make sure that we are grateful and thankful, but always with an eye toward, now how is this going to help those in my spheres of influence? It doesn't help just by you saying it. You, you must invite people into the fact that you are blessed. Correct? And so it's very important that we recognize this is not for us to go around parading our different gifts and abilities in a way that brings exaltation to ourselves. If the Lord is at work in your life and you're inviting people into your home and you are seeking to engage them and be a blessing to them, won't they find out that you are in fact blessed? It'll come natural. You don't have to shout it from the rooftops per se. You don't have to make it about you. That's the thing you've got to watch for is when you are speaking of yourself and your gifts and your abilities and the way in which God is working in your life, who's really the hero of the story and for what purpose? We have to be careful and, and steward these things well because it could be a, 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 a discouraging thing to those around us, right? Think, think about yourselves. How many of you have ever been around somebody and you heard the story of the great way in which God was working in, in their life, and was, which is, can be good to hear, but then you're wondering, well, why didn't God work in my life that way? Parents. How many of you have heard about the lineage of preachers that are like eight generations deep? And you're just wondering, I'm just trying to keep my kid alive. I don't even know if they're going to be able to preach or what someday. That is a good lineage. That is a good testimony for those who do have eight generations. But those eight generations are, are for the blessing of the kingdom over and over and over again. Not that the parents did something particularly right. Or that you are doing something particularly wrong. It is no simple math. Salvation is from the Lord alone. You plant, you water. He must give the increase. But how often have we actually been discouraged at times? And you may say, well, there may be something wrong in my own heart if I was discouraged by that. That's true, and it is good for you to think that through. But always remember when you're sharing of the good that God has done in your life, you're not just sharing in words, share in deed. Help other people through these things that the Lord has given you. Don't parade them for your own exaltation, or as if you are more uniquely loved than other people. Consider what the problem of the Roman church was, right? They were fighting over who is more loved. And remember, the Jews said, well, we're, <laughs> we've been around for a long time. We got the covenant. We got the covenant markers. We got the word. We got it all. What you got? And the Gentiles said, well, we didn't get kicked out of Rome like you guys did, and we're recently saved and got the Holy Spirit. What you got? And they just kept kind of going back and forth trying to decide. And what was the purpose of the Jewish folk being chosen in the first place? Why was Israel chosen? So that it could be a fortress for God's people to try to make it to eternity? Why were they chosen? For the life of the world. For the Abrahamic covenant so that the nations would be blessed. And then why were the Gentiles welcomed in, Paul tells us? To make the Jews who were not believing jealous to come in. So where there is this kind of symbiotic relationship is they both were chosen for the good of the other. You, I, we have been chosen for the good of all those others in our spheres of influence. We need to be active in thinking through how we go about that in and through hospitality. 
in and through our thinking through the things that may cause someone else to stumble. Now, Paul does something here that's very important to keep them because we all have this predilection. Like if you, all right, just tell me what to do. Tell me the two or three things I can do because I know many of you maybe are even thinking this. Cameron's been talking all this stuff about hospitality, not making folks stumble. Well, we don't do food sacrifice idols anymore. I mean, maybe the teetotal thing, I can look at that, but tell me what to do. Okay, love your neighbor through everything you do. I didn't tell you a whole lot, did it? Because he's going to say here, it's not just about food and drink. He says, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do. This did is lopped off any opportunity for creating a new law. Because they, just like us, would have said, all right, I won't eat meat and I won't drink wine. We'll just have vegetables and some old tepid water. You know, hey, this is me loving you, not eating stuff I love. You're welcome, right? Is that, oh, wow, I feel so loved and cared for, you know? Um, and so it's, it's a silly notion that we would return to the law to solve a problem that's trying to set people free from the law. So he's saying you must be mindful. You've got to think through. So if you invite someone to your house, and, and you're concerned about this, and you should be, what does that mean you have to do before they come over? You've got to know them. You've got to have some knowledge of who they are and, and, and what they care about and, and what might cause them to stumble, right? So this is a situation where we've got to actually know each other um, and not uh, just, just willy-nilly try to engage each other. I remember early in the Acts 29 days, uh, and it kind of permeated throughout, but early in the Acts 29 days because freedom was such a big deal uh, for so many who were, who were drawn to that network pseudo-denomination. And story after story, in fact, Travis, this happened to Travis Sawyer, where an Acts 29 person invited him. Uh, he had flown in, invited him to dinner, and the guy immediately went to dinner, and uh, if I'm remembering the story correctly, because there's like a triumvirate here, he lit a cigarette, ordered a beer, and started cussing. Now, if you know Travis Sawyer, none of those things are impressive to him. Now, you're not going to make Travis stumble over some silliness like that, but he, he's not going to want to, he's going to be reticent to work with you. And if, if two Christians are reticent to work together, what happens to the kingdom? It is weakened. And that's not Travis's fault. But I heard story after story like that, and even experienced some of that, where I'd hear guys be like, oh, you doing devotionals? <laughs> like, what? I get it. Devotionals can be a very legalistic thing, but I'm not sure the solution to devotionals being legalistic is to cast God's word out. They poo-pooed accountability, which it's, that's complex, right? Um, and, and where are we now? How did it work out? didn't. The kingdom is not stronger for all of that silliness. We are not a stronger people of God for all that silliness. Now, the Lord still brought a lot of good out of all of those things, despite our worst efforts. But we can't, we struggle to be able to take credit for it when we're not participating. We struggle to actually be able to enjoy it in eternity as we ought, because God has hospitably invited us into it. He's given us our freedom so that we can serve him in ways that we will get to take joy in for eternity. And not just all this stuff that's passing and silly. And he goes on to say, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one 
who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Now, the biblical technical definition of blessed is what? God's presence. So why would you run the risk of not being able to enjoy God's presence for something as passing as a meal? For something as silly as a blog post or, or something as silly as refusing to serve someone else because your freedom dictates you're not going to show up for worship if you have to put something on your face. Yeah, I called back to COVID. I'm sorry. I, I can't let it go. Right? We go we, we're going to compromise being able to be in the presence of the Lord and with one another because we, we had something added or... But you're like, whoa, Cameron, slippery slope. You know, it all starts somewhere. Yeah, we're in a fallen world, principalities and powers of darkness. It's all, it is all conspiracy. I don't trust none of them. Because none of, none of them who are in charge are exalting Jesus, to my knowledge. Or doing any of this. So we would do well to be more concerned about what's going to allow us to be in God's presence. And instead of... Being so concerned with, oh, he goes on to make sure that we understand, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So he makes sure that both parties are understanding some things here. It's not just that he's only speaking to the one, but one has a different responsibility than the other. You must be convicted in your heart and mind as to what you're doing. And what you're doing ought to always keep in view, is this in any way, shape, or form glorifying to God? Too often, we don't even ask that question. Our first question is, does it bring us pleasure? Do we like it? Does it make us feel better? Those questions aren't unimportant, right? God does long for his children to have good gifts, but he wants those gifts to actually bring them closer to him, not drive them further from him. And remember this, if, I, if it's the one thing of all the years that I preach here that you remember, remember this. And it is clear in scripture, the thing that God hates more than anything else is not the thing that we hate most. The thing that God hates more than anything else is... What? Pride. And see, what's interesting about pride is it can show up in the best of people. Can it not? You don't have to be some low-life trailer trash like myself to have trouble with arrogance. You can be a perfectly good person who claims to have loved Jesus all of your days. Like Susan. Susan. See, this is where we are unified. We all, every single one of us, has a problem with arrogance and pride. And if you're wondering some of the places where you might cause someone to stumble who comes into your hospitality, look there first. That's a good place for you to look first and say, huh, I wonder how I talk about varying subjects with various individuals or how I bring things up or how I talk about myself even or my kids or my family? Am I in some way, shape, or form being arrogant or prideful? 
You can hear it on both ends of the spectrum. From the folks who claim that they're raising their kids to, with this perfect system, to the other side of the coin, when someone likes to declare, hey, like Paul, I'm chief among sinners. That's arrogant. No, you're not. None of us will ever sin as much as Abram sinned in Genesis 16. None of us will ever sin as much as Paul did in Acts before the Damascus Road. Stop trying to compare yourself in any way, shape, or form. It's not a competition. God loves you by his own accounting, which happens to be grace. And we are to do the same. So the things that we do need to be from faith for God's glory and the betterment of others. But before you get tangled up in all that, I think it's very important that you remember you can't love God and love neighbor until something else happens first, and that is that you yourself know that you are loved. Now, we can never comprehend how deeply we are loved, right? That's actually an incomprehensible phenomenon according to Scripture. And even when we try, we need the help of the Holy Spirit, according to Paul, to even, even approximate and so I think for many of us, the, the problem is we've, we've practiced the wrong kind of selfishness. There is a selfishness that I think you ought to practice. It is that you would come to understand that God loves you, but not because of anything about you, not because you are particularly great or have a set of skills that his kingdom is desperate for. No, he, he chooses to transform and transfigure and use what you have and what you are, including your sin and your sinful story. But, but, but he does that purely because he chooses to. That is a mystery that I cannot comprehend, and as I've said it many times, I am thoroughly glad it's true. And so we need to make sure that we are meditating on God's love for us. And then out of that, looking for, all right, Lord, how can I express this to you in gratitude, in worship, in hospitality, in devotion, in prayer, service? And then how can I do that for those in my spheres of influence? How might I, and again, it is an arrogant thing to think that you're going to fill up your schedule morning, noon, and night, trying to get to everybody. God's not asking you to save everybody. But you can pace yourself. You've got liberty here. And you probably should pace yourself so you're thinking about it and take the time to actually prayerfully consider whom it is you're inviting into your home and for what purpose and how and who you're inviting into your life for what purpose and how and what you're offering up. This would be a great gift to the church, would it not? To have a church full of people who are hospitably other-oriented because God was hospitably other-oriented. And to help each other in this regard. So if you have questions about, I just, I don't, I don't know, let's talk. We can do some case studies. We can think particularly about some of the folks who are in your spheres of influence and how you might think this through. Don't just rest on your own laurels. Don't just, just uh, get frustrated by it and cast it aside. It says, the apostle is condemning conduct that springs from motives like selfishness or greed or fear. All of those are based in arrogance. Faith is that 
by which one receives salvation, but it is also basic to the whole Christian way of life. Faith is a humble reliance on God, on God alone for salvation and for the living out of the implications of that salvation. What cannot be justified by being in accord with our relation to Christ is sin. Did you hear that? What cannot be justified by being in accord in our relation to Christ is sin. That is both that which is a clear breaking of the law and that which takes this as neutral. Nothing is neutral. This should be what governs how we think about and do what we do, who we are in Christ. And the more you do that and practice that and pray that, the easier it becomes. It becomes more a part of who you are. Many of you are are, are growing and have grown in this. May we continue to grow as a church in this regard. So my question for us is how can you regularly practice a hospitality that is by faith alone in God's grace alone to edify your other siblings in Christ? Our hospitality ought to be defined by faith and grace and be other-oriented. And so Romans 14, 20 through 23 calls for us uh, to show hospitality by faith alone and his grace alone to edify his people. Now, I'm not doing the baptism, but I will say this before I pray. What a wonderful gift it is for us to witness a baptism on a day in which we've been told to be reminded of how deeply loved we are. Right? This is an opportunity for us to improve upon, those of you who are baptized, to improve upon our baptisms and to, to remember the death of Christ for you. That he loved you so much that he gave up more than a meal. He gave up all the glory of heaven. He gave up all of the glory of being a king who reigned to come to a world that didn't even want to look at him. He was of no consequence to them. He, he, he drew no, no gaze because of his physical stature. And in fact, every time he opened his mouth, he risked losing his life. Right? Remember one of the first times he teaches in the synagogue, it's a sermon on race, and he reminds them that the Lord had saved some Gentiles in the Old Testament. And you remember how they reacted to such a statement of disunity that someone else other than appears in the crowd. To experience the, the humiliation of the cross, the dereliction of the cross, that separation from God that made him cry from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet as Hebrews tells us, it was for the joy that was set before him our salvation, that he endured the cross. And more, our baptism not just represents his death, but his resurrection. That he would not only just get us to even. All right, you've been warned now. You've been properly told. He doesn't just do that. He says, and now, now I'm going to invite you into the story to join me in the joy that is now set before you. To endure the humiliation of life in a fallen world as those who are crowned with honor and glory. And yet it doesn't look like it at all right now. 
but I invite you in for a brief time, for this world is passing. And what you do here won't just be that which passes with the mist or the vapor. It will have eternal implications. This is what our baptism points to and signifies for us. So as we bear witness this morning, think on these things, consider these things, so that you may leave here knowing, maybe a little better than when you came in, how deeply you are loved. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you speak to us through your word, read, prayed, confessed, sung, sermonized, and then made visible in baptism. God, thank you that you are so adamant that we know that we are loved and that we have been set free, but that that freedom has a purpose. And that purpose is to serve your kingdom and your glory and to bring us joy and, and to be for the life of the world. Help us in the power of the Holy Spirit exercise hospitality in wisdom and in faith. Help us to, to, to have wonder and awe at what you will do in and through such simple offerings. May we be willing to not rend asunder what you have brought together in reconciliation in Christ. May we be unwilling to be set to flight and flee from one another so easily when we disagree or, or, or we don't understand God, help us instead to use our energy to move toward each other and toward you because you have loved us. Father, would you help us leave here better understanding how deep we are loved. In Christ's name, amen.